Gale's open, they're away in the Golden Slipper, there's a great start, and Mid-Mid-Masque on the extreme outside is about the first out, Jeff Boyle. Jackler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front, Jackler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit, the Jackler. This I podcast is brought to you by Harness Racing New South Wales. Mitovite has been producing high-quality feeds and supplements for all walks of equine life for almost 40 years. Mitovite has become a household name in racing and breeding circles with products like Athlete, Formula 3 and Breeder. Time-tested products in the breeding barn and on the racetrack. 26 thoroughbred Group 1 winners this season have been on a Mitovite feeding regime. From humble beginnings on the New South Wales Central Coast, Mitovite has become a world leader in equine nutrition. Infrastructure investment in the production mill and close attention to nutritional science keeps Mitovite at a standard of excellence developed over four decades. Check the website, mitovite.com or follow the Mitovite Racing and Breeding Facebook page. The Mitovite brand has earned the respect of horse people all over the world. I thoroughly enjoy reminiscing with horse people who've made their marks in the sport of harness racing. And I have found such a guest for the upcoming podcast. Brian Forrester is 88 years of age. He lives quietly in retirement in Sydney with a million memories of his 44 years in harness racing more than four decades in which he established a reputation as an astute all-round horseman and a master of the race-driving craft. New Zealand-born Forrester drove his first winner at Blenheim on the South Island at age 17, little realising that this low-key start would lead him to a career that would take him to success in an Inter-Dominion Championship and a Hunter Cup. Brian trained his share of winners over the years, but was best known as a freelance driver, a driver of great talent and unwavering professionalism. He was 61 years old when a vision impairment forced him out of the sulky, but such was his love for horses that he spent another 25 years working for several Warwick Farm thoroughbred trainers. May I welcome to the podcast a man who left an indelible mark on harness racing in New Zealand and Australia, a fine horseman, an elite race driver, and a gentleman of the sport he loved and respected. Brian Forrester, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome you to the podcast. Good morning. Thank you, John. What an in- what an introduction. Well, I meant uh, every word. Say, they say. Uh, the the older you get, the better you were. If I happen to get if I happen to get to a hundred, I don't know how good I'll be, John. Well, you're going pretty good. You're heading in the right direction. You're eighty eight battling away. You're eighty eight currently. Yeah, you're living the quiet life. But I take it you're still very interested in the racing codes because when I rang you one morning to talk about this podcast, you said, Don't ring until I get the scratchings. Yeah, that's right. No, I follow I follow both racing and trotting uh, quite well, actually. I don't get out there very often, but uh, I am still very interested in both the thoroughbred and the harness racing industry. You still go to the occasional Menangle meeting. I think you were there at Inter-Dominion time. 
Uh, yes, yes, actually, uh, they were kind enough to invite me out there. And uh, often, on, not often, but quite often on a Tuesday, I used to get the train from Warwick Farm here, and you mm. only had to get off at Campbelltown and get the little train, uh, the diesel train up to uh, Menangle, which was only two stops away, and it was very convenient to get there. I must get out there again. Mm. Brian, you continue to live at Warwick Farm and you have contact with many of the local trainers, so I imagine you'd be watching uh, the gallops with interest, uh, horses and people that are well known to you. Yes, yes, yeah, no. Uh, and and quite a lot of harness uh, racing people are, uh, uh, are employed and uh, friends of the... Uh, of the thoroughbred people, one man comes to mind as a friend of mine, which bought a couple of horses off us years ago, mm. called Glenn Lobb. Mm. He's a very good friend of Bourne Bakers. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I see them and talk with them every now and then. Yes, it's a great community here. It's ironic that deteriorating vision forced you out of the sulky all those years ago because following cataract surgery, your vision improved dramatically and has remained in good order to this day. Yes, I, I had an operation uh, at the uh, eye clinic, or two operations actually, mm. here in Liverpool, and uh, well, they cut a little piece off the corner of your uh, pupil and they pulled the cataracts out. They were done six months apart because you could the risk was there, you could lose your sight, But which mm. I didn't fortunately, and uh, I've got lenses in my eyes and I can see very well at the moment. And as I say, I'm 88, so uh, mm. I've got nothing to complain about. <laughs> no, absolutely. Brian, you're just another champion horseman to come out of the South Island of New Zealand. You were born in 1934 at a little place called Fairley between Christchurch and Queenstown. Your family then moved to Pembroke on the North Island but you were back in Christchurch at a, around five years of age. I think we'll call you a South Islander. Uh, I, I think you can, actually. I was born, as you say, in uh, a little place called Fairley in South Canterbury, which mm. is only about probably uh, 25, 30 miles from Mount Cook, so by Clucky, it was pretty cold there. Mm. Uh, my old grandfather settled there in about 1880, I think. Did he? Really? And, uh, yeah. and then we went down to... Pembroke, which was on the uh, banks of Lake Wanaka, but uh, that was down the South Island, John. I beg your pardon, yep. Yeah, and uh, Fairley was called the Mackenzie County mm. as part of South Africa, and uh, the Mackenzie County was called Mackenzie after a sheep stealer <laughs> called, uh, I forget his first name, Mackenzie was his second name, mm. and he had a dog that did not bark. And they used to drive there. There, that's a true story. Yeah, they did. They used to drive these sheep down uh, to a cur- to Kurau miles away and sell them at the sales there. But eventually, they caught him and they did pardon him. So that's how the uh, Mackenzie County was named, and they have the most wonderful Mackenzie County show every year mm. in Fairley. Yep. Two of your close relations achieved great distinction in World War Two. Now, you had an uncle who survived three very famous battles. Yes, my mother's brother. Mm. Yeah, he, he, uh, he fought Greece, Crete, North Africa and Italy mm. and, and got home too, mm. Morris, yes. Yeah, mm. good, uh, wonderful fella. Actually, 
when he came back, he used to uh, drive a uh, truck to um, Lake, uh, well, just up here, I forget the name of it now, mm. uh, 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 Lake Tekapo. Mm. They were building the fire station in those days, and he used to always put me in my truck in the truck with him when I was on school holidays, and we'd go up to Lake Takapo. Mm. He uh, used to cut up cement there uh, to build for the dam there, and eventually, well, the dam was there under the hydroelectric mm. scheme, and uh, yeah, that that's the last time I saw my uncle Morris. Yeah. Now speaking of dams, Brian, you had a cousin who was a bomber pilot. And he participated in the bombing of those dams in Germany in 1943. Uh, uh, in, yes. in the, the legend that became the Dam Busters. Yes, Cyril, yes. Uh, he was a squadron leader, I believe. Mm. I have met him and, and talked with him, but that was years before. Um, he, he, was, uh, he flew a squadron of uh, Lancaster bombers over to uh, on the Dam Buster mission. Mm. Got back with one engine and he got, uh, I think that they just decorated him with the distinguished flying cross, I think, mm. the DFC as they called it, yeah. Mm. So well, I think he finished up in charge of the Pacific here after the war mm. and the Air Force, yeah. Your initial interest in trotting horses was actually sparked by schoolmates. Now, you went to school with several young blokes who were destined to make their marks in harness racing eventually. Who was in the class? Yeah, well, uh, John Noble was a good friend of mine, George's son. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Dennis and uh, Barry Nyan, mm -hmm. uh, of Globe Derby fame from their father, Bar uh, Don, mm -hmm. uh, and a fellow called Tommy Pringle, mm -hmm. and his father had probably one of the best mayors I've ever seen, a, a mayor called Thelma Globe. Thelma Globe, great mayor, yeah. Yeah. Uh, by Springfield Globe, incidentally, too, which uh, was, uh, he was a great sire here from uh, Australia that did come over to New Zealand and really left his mark. But mm. she was a wonderful mayor, Thelma Globe. Mm. So uh, I just finished up when I left school, mm. uh, going out to Royden Lodge and uh, picking up the pieces. Later on, you landed a job at the very famous Royden Lodge trotting stud and training operation in New Zealand, owned by Sir John Mackenzie. And his private trainer, and you've mentioned this man's name already, George Noble, was actually Australian-born. Yes, George was an architect here uh, in Sydney, actually, and uh, a very fine man, a gentleman, mm. and... Uh, was a big help to me uh, in my early career, definitely, mm. yeah. And could also, which a lot of people may not even realise in the harness racing in those days, was also a very good farrier. He used to shoe his own horses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. George Noble had a lot of success as a trainer and a driver, and he'd send one to Australia from time to time, Brian. He had a great filly, Bonnie Frost, and Stanley Rio. He won an Inter-Dominion at Albion Park with Stanley Rio. That's right. John, John drove it, yes. Mm. Yeah, and uh, actually George uh, was tangled up a little bit over here in Australia before that with a mare called White Globe. He was great mm. friends of Sylvie Bray. Mm. Um, Adios Victor, uh, his son trained Adios Victor. Yes, yeah, Sil Bray from Tamora right. in the Riverina. That's yep. it. Yeah, him uh, and George were good friends. 
Royden Lodge, Brian was home to many great stallions, including two legends who had a massive influence on the sport in Australia and New Zealand, Light Brigade and you, Scott, and you tell me you actually handled these very famous horses in the breeding barn. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. I, I, I did uh, hand-serve a horse with you, Scott, and with Light Brigade, the old stud groom there, just uh, just gave me the permission to do that and actually supervised it just mm. so that I could say I'd done something in my life. Yes. <laughs> he, he, he also... Uh, Gave me a good indication into life. Mm. Uh, he said to me, "Oh, you're interested in this being in this harness racing business?" I see. I said, "Yes, Andy, I am." Mm. He was a good old Scotsman. He was a great old man. Mm. He said, "Well, you'll find it's full of bit of disappointments with a few pleasant surprises." Ah, oh, dear me! He was the man. You told me that years ago. Yeah, and and it's worked out that way. Mm. I think he said. Uh, it's a business fraught with disappointment, interspersed <laughs> by the odd pleasant surprise. Yeah, that's exactly it. You got it. Yeah. I remember older trotting blokes telling me over the years about the Golden Cross in standard bred breeding, and that was light brigade over you, Scott Mares, and it worked time and time again. Yes, there was a bit of toughness and a bit of endurance on one side, and a bit of good uh, temperament on the other side. It worked out quite well. You, Scott, was quite a savage horse, actually, but well, mm. the chap I just mentioned, uh, old Sandy, the stud groom, he, may, he he could do anything with the horse. Mm. But not everybody could. Oh, no. No, he was, he was a bit of a handful. We used to have to lead him around. If mm. ever Sandy went on holiday, mm. we had a piece of... Uh, steel about oh, four or five foot long mm. and uh, he always had a head stall on and it had a spring clip on the end of it and mm. you'd just take the hay out to him and uh, he'd, he'd put his head down to eat a bit of hay and you'd just put mm. the spring clip on the side of his head stall Good and it would keep him away from you. So, yeah. Brian, he'd take a chunk out of you, would he? Oh, yes, yes, yes. He had a couple of victims, actually. Did he? <clears throat> uh, not not badly. He took an ear yeah. off one bloke one time. Good yep. heavens. We're talking about you, Scott. Yes. Goodness me. Haven't heard that one before. Uh, well, you have now, John. <laughs> yeah. You tell me George Noble taught you to carry a stopwatch when you were driving track work at Royden Lodge, something you did many, many times, and you say this is how you learned about pace. Yes, George used to draw me and uh, got very frustrated with me at times. And uh, usually they used to let me make the pace in front. That's why I had the stopwatch, mm. because I used to puncture the wheels of the guys behind if, in front of me if they let me drive behind. <laughs> at, uh, that's a true story again. Yeah. At, uh, anyway, no, I learned to uh, drive pretty accurately on a watch, and uh, mm. I sort of think that helped me... Uh, Won quite a few races because I had a pretty good idea yeah. how fast or how slow we were going and mm. how fast or slow I was going mm. and how fast or slow the pace in the race was. Yes, I know. You were one of the best. <laughs> I, I was in races with you many, many times and I can remember the odd occasion when I wished your judgment of pace wasn't as good as it was. Thank you, John. <laughs> yeah. But uh, 
I, I won't say uh, on all that. I don't think I was a really top top driver. I, I I wasn't a great tactician or anything like that. But I put it down to the fact that I I did have a pretty good idea how quick we were going. Brian, I know many who will disagree with that. Now, getting back to George Noble, he trained your first winning drive, a mare called Great Star at Blenheim in the Marlborough district, and you've never forgotten that race. No, no, no. I was very excited, yes. It was the first time I ever put the colours on, actually. Mm. Uh, George, George, I think he must have had a soft spot for me, and also John McKenzie the same, I don't know. But... Mm. We went up to Blenheim there. We always used to take horses up Nelson Blenheim Circuit. It was a great circuit towards the end of January. And a little great star. She she was a good, uh, honest mare and reliable mare. Mm. And uh, George let me drive her and she just jumped straight to the front and then let one go. And uh, we sat in behind the leader and Mm. Just pulled out when you should pull out. And we were lucky enough to get the money. Yes, yeah, Mm. that's... That's a long time ago. man called Bob Townley trained your first Metro winner at Addington. Horse was called Jokund. And what a uh, thrill. Yes, to... he was. Mm. Sorry, John. I was going to say, what a thrill to drive on that beautiful uh, historic track, Addington, 1,200-metre circuit. Uh, uh, actually, it was what they call a probationary driver's race, like I suppose they have now, claiming races. Mm. But uh, there was no concessions for probationary drivers in those days. The only concession there was there was there was was that there was only probationary drivers in the race. We never got much chance, really. Mm. But uh, yeah, it was good. I've still got a photo of it at home here. Mm. Uh, there was a, it was at Addington and all, a big crowd in the stands there, of course, pacing, oh, and still is over at Addington. It's mm. uh, it's just so, uh, what would I say, popular. Yes, yeah. And, uh, I still have a photo of old Joe Candy. Yeah. Goodness me. You got to work for several other trainers, uh, Barney Murdoch, uh, Dick Nixon, Bob Townley, who we've just mentioned, uh, Jock Baines, who trained Captain Sandy. Duel into Dominion winner. Yeah, actually, uh, when you say that, I think Captain Sandy would be the oldest horse ever to win winning in a Dominion. Ten year old. Mm. Yeah, I bet you we won't see many ten, nine, or eight year olds winning into Dominion nowadays, John. No, well, you drove a nine year old, didn't you? We'll talk that, about that's him later. Exactly, that's exactly right. And Natalie Rasmussen, I think, did. Mm. Uh, I think old Blacks of Fate was nine year old when he won his last of many ones. Mm. Yeah. You yep. took a break from horses for a while, and, and this is something that uh, isn't known widely about Brian Forrester. You went shearing at a time when wool was holding its value. Where did you go? Uh, actually, uh, I wasn't shearing. I was working in the shearing gang, yeah. picking up uh, the fleeces and rolling and skirting on the wool table. Right. Uh and in those days, oh, I was still going to school. I used to do a bit in my school holidays to get a few dollars. Mm. And uh, in those days, uh, were, um, what's the name? Uh, Walt touched a pound a pound. Goodness me. Uh, and I, I was taking more money home than my, my, my dad was getting in those days. Uh, we were getting 20 pounds a week, which was quite a bit of money in the 19, late 1940s. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you, but I was great life, the old shearing life. Yeah, nearly got me. Yeah, almost got you. 
<laughs> that sharing is very, very hard work and still is. Yeah, well, Brian, I'm glad it didn't get you because uh, if that were the case, we wouldn't be doing this podcast this morning. No, probably not. Yeah. Uh, we'd be out in the shearing shed. Yeah. Well, you were working for an Auckland trainer called Bruce Lee who came up with a decision that would change the course of your life. Bruce made the rather adventurous decision to take six horses to Sydney for a brief campaign and invited you to go with him. I bet he didn't have to ask twice. Uh, actually, I went up to work for Bruce mm. after the shearing game, uh, oh, and a white lace stand, and, uh, uh, oh, gee, we had some success there. Mm. I won the first race ever run at uh, Alexandra Park. Did you? Uh, yeah. Yep. With a uh, light brigade stallion called Van de Val. Mm. And the sprint on the same night with a with a horse called Canyon. Goodness me, uh, your memory is amazing. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> so those, are the, those are the sort of things I don't want to forget, John. Yeah. At, uh, yeah Canyon came over later and uh, went round in the Inter-Dominion in Perth. I never came over uh, mm. to drive him, a chap called... The trainer brought him over, Bruce mm. uh, Levy, mm. uh, and uh, Phil Coulson actually drove the horse over there in uh, uh, West Australia. I don't think, no, the horse didn't go much good. Mm. Mm. Uh, but Phil Coulson, a few years later, uh, came over and won the uh, won the Inter Dominion here at Addington with a horse called Junior Royal. Right now, now Junior Royal. Uh, Returned a positive swab, and uh, Dirty Townley and Stella Frost mm. uh, got the result. They lost the uh, Inter Dominion on protest. Yeah, Brian, uh, it's not so often. Dirty, not often I get to correct you. That horse was called Junior's Image. Yeah, thank you. Nineteen seventy-one. I think he won his uh, three heats before too. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I think he did. I was there. I actually called that series. Uh, for 2GB in Sydney. I remember it so well. Yeah, I was I was there. I saw the first three heats, but I was home before the final. I think I had to mm. come home to work. Mm. Brian, we've uh, got off the track a bit. We were talking about that trip to Sydney with Bruce Lee and you brought six horses on an old ship called the Wonganella, a ship with a lot of history. She'd been a hospital ship in the islands during World War II uh, before returning to that trans-Tasman run. Now, you were telling me the other day it was an awful trip. How did you handle the big seas? I, I think it was remembering the hospital times. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, oh, it was scary. It took us about four and a half days to get over here mm. from Auckland. Yeah. Um, and it was very scary, especially going down the hold to feed the horses, which would be about, oh, 50 feet down on a very narrow ladder mm. and the old sea she used to go the ship she used to go right down mm. and you'd say gee i don't know whether this is ever going to come up again but fortunately <laughs> it did each yeah. time yeah yeah and while i think of a little bit of trivia there uh, there was about 28 horses from memory there the ship's carpenter did most of them i did my mm. my six yeah. and there was an old chap there and i got talking to him a bit he had a thoroughbred and he, he, he said to me, you're going over to try your luck over there, son, he said. Mm. And uh, I said, oh, yes, yes. I said, I never know what's going to happen. 
And he said, I think the horse can win the Epsom, he said. I said, oh, yeah. I said, what's its name? Yeah. He said, a horse called Rochdale. Goodness me. And Bill Sanders was the yeah. guy's name, or the trainer's name. I shouldn't call him the guy's name. He was a very respectful man. Yeah. And uh, anyway, sure enough. He won Rochdale the Epsom. Won, won, won the Epsom with Ethel George Mully on. Correct. Goodness yeah. me, and you had, yeah. a, you had an early tip. Yeah, well, I, I think I got sixes at page threes, I think. <laughs> yeah. Not that I was ever a great punter. I, I never ever, I've seen, uh, what would I say, I've seen too much uh, joy and too much uh, misery yeah. through the punting game. It's mm. like everything else, yeah. Mm. Well, while in Sydney, you stayed at the Bankstown stables of Max Truer who would later play a key role in your career. Now, those horses of Bruce Lee's, six of them, barely paid their way. And Bruce decided oh, no. he, he stayed in Sydney, but young Brian went back to New Zealand. But you couldn't settle down, could you? No, no, I had to come back. Huh? And and Max had, Max had offered me a job. He said, son, if you ever decide to come back here, he said. I was 27 at the time, but he was, he was a lot senior to me. He said, if ever you decide to come back here at the time, mm. he said, you you just give me a call. So I, fo I phoned him up and he said, yeah, definitely a job here and uh, hopped on the plane. I wasn't going back on the Wonganella, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> hopped on the plane and I was over here and away we went. Yeah. Yep. Well, one of Max Truer's horses, Stormy Bruce, would take you on a great ride. That horse put together an amazing sequence of wins at one stage, including the AG Hunter Cup, and you were the driver. Yes, yes, that was, uh, I don't know, that would probably be about his ninth win straight at the time. Mm. He started off at the Intercity Pace uh, in Maitland, a race that I still have very, very fond memories of because it was virtually the start of my bit of luck here in Australia. Mm. And then he went on and won uh, nine straight. And uh, first of all, we took him over to uh, to Tasmania. Mm. Uh, or not first of all, after a win or two, we took him over to Tasmania for the uh, Tasmanian Championships and he won both heats in the final there. Yeah. And then we slipped him on the – we went over by truck mm. and, uh, and ferry. Yeah. And uh, – and then we put, he went back on the ferry and back over the following weekend and he won the Hunter Cup. Yeah, great thrill. Now, <clears throat> during that Melbourne trip, a horse would come into your life destined to put Brian Forrester on the map. How did Champ for Star get to be in Max Truer's stables in Sydney? Well, it's quite a long, long story. I'll make it as quick as I can. When we went over to Tassie, we stayed at that fellow Heck Baker's stables mm. with Stormy Bruce for the championship. And uh, and Heck and uh, my, the foreman mm. uh, that had the horse were great friends. And uh, uh, over we came for the Hunter Cup and Champfester uh, competed in the Hunter Cup. And uh, Stan Leadham was the lessee of the Hunter Cup. And... Uh, that I, I, we we, had, we we decided to have a drink afterwards, Stan and me, because mm. we'd met each other. We used to stay at Ascot Vale at a fellow called Bill Devon's place. Mm. So anyway, after the Hunter Cup, we went up to the 
Bar or their members, I think it was, and uh, they were they had a replay of the Hunter Cup there, and I, I had a look at it because I didn't know how the race had gone. There's a little way, mm. and uh, I said to Stan, your horse should have nearly bloody beaten us, you mm. know. <laughs> and uh, he, he ran fifth, and he ran a good fifth, and had a very checkered passage. Yeah, and. Uh, Stan said, I've got him nominated for the Inter-Dominion, but I'm not sure that I should be going or not. Mm. I said, well, you go and have a yarn to the boss and you might come to some arrangement with him, you know. Mm. So, the ne- so the next day, uh, Champ for Star was, was on the truck and back here to Sydney he came. Mm. Yeah. Well, Brian, there was a well-documented track trial at Bankstown the week before the opening round of Inter-Dominion heats in 1966. Several trainers got together to trial six very good horses uh, in, in a mini race, really, and you drove champ for star in that famous trial. He flew, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't forget that one either. Mm. Uh, there were six of us. Um, no one wanted to lead. I think there was Flaming Star, Ted Scrooge, Dale's Gift, Oh, and I just can't remember the other two. Though They were pretty good horses mm. and no one wanted to lead, so I said, well, I'll lead. Mm. And anyway, away we went and we worked what we had to work and we worked good work too. Mm. And uh, I had a little bit of a look as we were going over the line and uh, my horse did win the workout and uh, I thought to myself, I've got two or three links up left in me in this horse. Mm. So I went home and I said to the boss, I said, hey, this has got some sort of a chance in the, in the final, this horse. Mm. And uh, anyway, that's, that's the way it went. Mm. And uh, I went to Gosford that day. And we're on the big grass track it was in those days. Mm. Drove a horse called Steady Prince for a chap called um, Gordon Fletcher. Mm. And... Uh, which happened to win too, incidentally. My wife must have been in. But he was, uh, Champ for Star was 100 to 1 when I left Sydney, and I think he was about 25 to 1 when I got to uh, Gosford. After yeah. the trial. Well, he won all three heats, Brian. He started favourite in the grand final, despite the presence of some very good horses. The weather turned nasty, and it rained and rained for days leading up to the meeting. There was concern it might have to be called off, but it went ahead. You jumped to the front, but for one horrible second, you thought you were going to be crossed, and the track was a slush heap. Yes, dead right, yes. Uh, We jumped away. Uh, Old champ went away in his usual, uh, what would I say, tradesman-like fashion, Mm. and uh, Kevin uh, Newman was driving a horse called... um, Double Adios. Double Adios. Mm. Yeah, Double Adios. I forget who it was for. Jimmy Caffin had it and he lost it because he wouldn't mm. drive it in the final. He picked another one to drive. Yeah, trainer but called he had Morphy. Trainer called Morphy had him by then. Oh, thank you. That's right. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, anyway, Double Adios was quite a barrier rogue and he didn't very often jump away well. Yeah. But they must have given him a nice bit of barrier practice and he's mm. he's. He's jumped away very well from five, and I had a look across, and I said, by crikey, I'm not going to lead these. And then uh, Double Adios made a break, and uh, I was there. I was in lead, and it was a dreadful mm. night, and yeah. I feel so sorry for everyone that was what was behind. Yeah. But uh, the meeting did go ahead because everyone wanted the meeting to go ahead. Mm. There was lots and lots of people. There were Americans there, and there were 
people from north and south Island and New Zealand, West Australia, everywhere. Mm. They all wanted it over and done with, so the decision was made to go ahead. Mm. Well, you rated Champ for Star beautifully, and he held off the champion New Zealand Mayor, Robin Dundee, who came off 24 yards, got very close to you, and she did a colossal job to get second. Now, before we leave Robin Dundee, Brian, I've got to mention that the following year, you had the privilege to drive that great mare on three occasions. Uh, you ran third at Harold Park. You think Mary Kathleen may have won that race. Your second drive was in Melbourne and you won it on protest. What happened there? Um, yes, yes, it was a free-for-all. Um, ran the three, three furlong um, Melbourne showgrounds and uh, halfway down the back straight, Hellwares gave him a very hard time, mm. laid all over me. I was on the fence mm. uh, behind the leader, laid all over me. Probably cost me two or three legs. Mm. So anyway, uh, Hellwares won the race, and uh, we, we had to, in those days, go over the scales and weigh 10 stone. So anyway, I'm going over the scales, and the chief steward said, are you going to protest? And I said, yes, sir, I certainly am. Mm. And that was it, yeah. Yep. Your third drive on Robin Dundee was in the 1967 Hunter Cup, won by Waitaki Hanover. You finished fourth in that. And, of course, later that year, Robin Dundee won the first edition of the famous Miracle Mile. Now, Brian, I mentioned earlier that you're probably best known as a top-class freelance driver, but you did train many horses over the years, and I remember a lovely mare you had, by the name of Adios Bauer. Gee, she won some races for you. Yes, Adios Bauer. Uh, yeah, I think she won about 10 races. Uh, she was a deep Adios mare, and most of them weren't all that uh, good as racehorses, mm. the deep Adios, but they, they finished up good mares. Yeah. Um, but uh, it took me about a month, three months at least, to get her to pace for starters, but she, mm. was, she was out of a very... Um, very prolific family mm. on the broodmare's side, the bow, foray, and all those sort of mm. horses. Uh, but she was well-bred, and, uh, and uh, uh, she didn't leave much at the finish. Mm. But uh, I also had a horse called King William, which was very, very good, mm. but uh, finished up, he broke down. I bought him in New Zealand. Mm. And a horse called uh, Lots and Lots, which is probably one of the best horses, if not the best apart from Robin D that I ever mm. drove. Mm. Uh, he was by Holmes Hanover. We bought him in New Zealand also. Mm. And uh, he 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 won a few. I, I, I didn't train him. A friend of mine, Peter Bednarzak, did. Yeah. And uh, he, uh, he, I think from memory, he did run a, a, an Australasian record mm. uh, in Newcastle as a two-year-old. Um and I think it was only about 157.2 or 157.3 or something. Mm. So that'll tell you how, how much quicker they're going nowadays. Oh, frightening. That, he was a very, very good horse, uh, lots and lots. Your most successful uh, association. A, sorry. Sorry, Brian. He won a Victorian uh, derby yeah. and he ran second. They took him back to New Zealand and uh, won the uh, run second in the New Zealand derby. Mm. I, I, uh, Peter lost him uh, before that. Mm. And uh, the chap that owned him actually mm. uh, went along and bought 
young Mr. Charles mm. from New Zealand and young Peter Morris won the Interdominion in Perth with it. So he certainly we, did. We not only introduced the owner to a good horse, mm. but he, he followed on. Your most successful association with a Sydney trainer was the one that brought you a Harold Park Drivers Premiership, I think in 83-84. You teamed up with a very hard-working lady called Fran Donoghue, a former nursing sister who became a brilliant trainer of harness horses. And that association started by accident. John Binskin had been driving for her. That's correct. He, uh, I can't just quite remember, Ronan or some name like that was the horse's name, and Johnny had to drive something else in the race. So, And he was a very difficult horse, a very difficult horse in the race early. And uh, I managed to get on with him quite well, and he did happen to win that night. Mm. Uh, so I kept the drives on hands horse, Fran's horses for quite some time. And the season you won the Drivers' Premiership, Fran became the first female trainer to ever win the coveted Harold Park Trainers' Premiership. A great lady and a wonderfully talented horse person. Now, yes, and a lovely, lovely person also. Absolutely. You've also got a New South Wales Drivers' Premiership on your CV. Uh, yes. I think I may have won that by default, John. Mm. Uh, Tony Turnbull used to win it just about every year, yeah. but he broke his leg this year. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I think he was off for about three months, so I do feel I might have got that a New South Wales Premiership by default. Brian, we'll just pause for a moment to clear a commitment on the podcast. We'll be back with Brian Forrester after this. Harness Racing New South Wales has established a much-needed initiative to help harness racing participants who are struggling with personal issues through these tough times. It's called Mates for Harness, and it offers a helping hand to anybody struggling with the ravages of drug or alcohol abuse, domestic violence or mental illness. Mates for Harness is there for anybody needing a helping hand. The support group is headed up by the very experienced Morris Logue, Chaplain Colin Watts and a sports psychologist Oliver Britt. Ambassadors are on standby all over the state. In the metro area, it's Darren Binskin. The Hunter, Peter Allen. The Northwest, Leanne Flower. The Western Districts, Amy Reese. The Riverina, Seren Adams. And the Far West, Steve and Marie Robinson. If you need to talk to somebody, Mates for Harness can help www.matesforharness.com.au or ring Morris Logue on 0400 984 193. You don't need to be alone. Talk it over with a mate. I think your best performance at a single race meeting was a five-win haul. Which track was that, Brian? Uh, that would be the Gosford... Uh... Uh, showgrounds track, yeah. uh, three furlong track, maybe a little more than three furlongs it was, mm. but it was a pretty successful little track. And boy, they always used to get a big crowd there every Thursday night from memory. Yeah. But uh, oh, a big crowd and about 20 bookies or more. Yeah, no, it was a great little meeting. I always used to like going to Gosford. Funny little track. It was uphill and down dale, but you had it worked out pretty well. Yeah, you nearly needed a seatbelt. Yes, it was a funny little joint. I went round there a few times. I remember dead heating in a race there one night uh, at Gosford 
And I don't know, uh, was there a technical hitch with the photo finish camera, but we circled around on the track underneath the judge's box for an eternity before the result went up, a dead heat. I copped it sweet. Right, I know. Yep, yep. Yeah. No, no, Gosford. It was a great little track, it was. Mm. Yep. Good, good memories there. You enjoyed a tremendous association with a bonnie mare called Caramia Duplicity in the 1980s. She was trained by the late Lucini and her many wins included 19 at Harold Park. What are your memories of Caramia Duplicity? Uh, she was she was a very good mare. She she uh, was quirky, uh, but uh, yeah, she liked things her way. Mm. Uh, didn't like to have to do any work much early. Was a brilliant beginner, mm. uh, and if she just jumped bang straight to the lead, she was pretty near unbeatable. But if she had to work a little bit, mm. no, no, that that didn't go down too well with her. Mm. But uh, funny, she was. I don't know. I think she was just as Good a mare driven behind as she was in front. Mm. Well, you but won. She won, a, she won a Simpson Sprint and a Jois Memorial, and yeah. oh, I can't remember all the races she won, but she did win quite a lot. She won a horse. Noel Simpson Cup. actually was very interested in her and bred her. Yeah, she finished up in America, Brian. Didn't do as well over there, but I know at the end of her career, she had accumulated one million in prize money, and back then that was a king's ransom. Yeah, well, that's right. It was a lot of money nowadays. It's just a figure. Mm. <laughs> yep. Now, Brian, I've got to bring this one up, although I really shouldn't. One night at Fairfield 36 <laughs> years ago, you and I hit the deck together at the top of the straight. I finished up in hospital with a broken leg, which still gives me trouble. You got up and drove in later races. You are a tough old Kiwi. Well, you have to be to survive, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was terrible. I was just driving a horse. Uh, it was in behind the leader, down it went. Must have just crossed its legs or something. I don't know. And you were unfortunate enough to be following me. Yeah. And uh, over the top you went, and I, I walked away, and you, you finished up in an ambulance. I did, uh, and I had another runner uh, in a later race, and you were kind enough to drive him for me. That's how tough you are. Yeah, no, actually, your wife, uh, well, I was okay. I was declared okay doctor-wise and everything. Mm. And uh, your wife, uh, Anne, mm. came along and said, look, would you drive this horse for me? And uh, I said, or for us, yeah. I said, yeah, sure, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> we drove it drove it round. I don't think we did any good. I couldn't quite remember its name when I yeah. when I was thinking about it. It was a two-year-old, Brian. His name was Prince Toe Tapper. <laughs> oh, right, oh. <laughs> Which I always thought was uh, uh, rather bizarre, uh, you know, when you looked at the condition I was in. <laughs> yeah, well, you certainly weren't tap dancing if you <laughs> broke your leg, John. <laughs> exactly. Now, you tell me one of the best horses you ever sat behind was Welcome Advice, winner of 49 races, including an Inter-Dominion final. You never drove him in a race, but you worked him on occasions for a great harness trainer and a great bloke, the late Alan Harpley. Yes, yes, uh, Alan always drove him. He, I think he won the Inter in, uh, in uh, um, not Auckland, Brisbane with him. Mm. Uh, his father, George, trained the horse, great old man, George. Mm. Uh, and uh, 
He said to me, yeah, you can have a drive on this horse this, if you like this morning. I'm bowling him along a bit. Mm. had a drive on him, but, oh, boy, he had a stride on him. Yeah. I don't know how big it was, but Greyhounds was the biggest they'd had at those stage. It was 26.2 feet, I think, mm. a horse in America. But, oh, mm. gosh, he had a great stride on him. Mm. I asked... He was a very, very good horse. There was no bottom to him. And he could sprint too. He could come off speed and really dash, couldn't he? My word, he could. Probably the toughest horse I've ever seen was mm. a horse called Pure Steel. Yep. Uh, Pretty Kersley had him. Mm. Uh, but he used to come over to uh, here and he and over to, uh, he came from South Australia at the time, I think. Oh, no, he came from West Australia. Mm. And uh, he could sit three wide all the way and keep going. Yeah. And against top horses like Gamalite and all those horses. Oh, he was tough, pure steel, I'll say. Yeah, by gosh, he was. He, he, and he'd just keep going at top speed too. It wasn't quite yeah. the toppest of speeds, but it mm. was that close to it. It didn't matter. I asked you once to nominate the best driver you saw in in Sydney or in Australia and the best driver you saw in New Zealand, and you were fairly direct in your reply. Ah, uh, yes, Morris Holmes or something else. Mm. Uh, Peter Wolfenden wasn't too far behind him when I say that. All the same, he was a very, very nice fella. Mm. Uh, and also very relaxed sort of fellow and a great judge of pace. Mm. He was only probably half a length behind Morris. Was he? Uh, mm. Nowadays, probably Anthony Butt looks as good as anyone they've got over there. Yeah, yeah. He's a brilliant driver, Anthony Butt, and he can adapt to any sort of track, Brian. You know, over the years, New Zealand drivers would come to Harold Park and struggled a bit until they'd had a few drives, Anthony Butt came to Harold Park and drove it like a, a master at his first attempt. Now, I don't think he's forgotten how either. No, I oh, know he's a great driver. You left One the... of the best drivers I saw over here mm-hmm. was old Jack Watts. He's the most relaxed man I've ever seen in a gig. Mm-hmm. He'd walk around at the start. It wouldn't matter what race it was. Just so relaxed it wasn't funny. He didn't care whether the cow calved or broke its neck. <laughs> <laughs> I love no, some no, of the he expressions. Was a great old, old driver, Jack, and he, his son's Colin, a good fella. Actually, the year I won the uh, Inter Dominion with Tampa Star, uh, Cole won it with uh, Yamamoto, this trotting final. He did. It was a big double Yamamoto and Tampa Star, Colin Watson, Brian Forrester. And uh, actually, I ran third in that trotting final, too, with a little South Australian mare called Sugar and Spice. Your memory is amazing. <laughs> but uh, but Cole, Cole was, well, his horse was just the better one of the two by quite a bit. Mm. You left the Sydney scene for a while in the late 1970s and you moved to a great trotting town, Leeton, in the Riverina. You trained horses there. Did you enjoy the country life? Uh, lovely, yes, I did. Actually, I had a pretty serious car accident and I needed a bit of recuperation, so... Mm. I, I went away from what they call the uh, the well, well the pressure of, of town mm. and uh, got back to my normal way of do it, like doing life again, you know, before mm. I came back here. We had uh, six children and they all had to have an education, nothing against Leeton, but mm. um, if they needed an education, they would have had to come back down here to Sydney. So uh, 
we we came back down to Sydney. I love Luton. Luton, a lovely place. Mm. And uh, came back down here to Sydney and bought 14 acres at Kemp's Creek, mm. uh, which we later sold and uh, went and lived at uh, uh, West Hoxton. Yeah. And then I came down here to live at Warwick Farm. I mentioned earlier that you went into the galloping world when you quit the Shulky and you work for three Warwick Farm galloping trainers. Who were they, Brian? Uh, I worked for Steve Engelbrett, mm-hmm. a very, 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 very nice man and a pretty astute bloke too, Steve. Yeah, no, a good fellow. And then I went mm-hmm. and worked for Brian Smith. Uh, and uh, Brian's, well, well, he's always been a good trainer. I think he won an Arc de Trump mm-hmm. with, uh, I forget the name of his horse now, but, uh, Belmarino, Belmarino. Yeah, you've got it. That's him, yeah. Yeah, no doubt about you. There's a photo of the horse and, and, and the jockey in the Bush Inn pub, actually. It's the only time I've ever seen Belmarino. Mm. Yeah, and uh, and he he, he left and went to Brisbane and uh, Mandy Turner worked for him and took out a trainer's licence and uh, mm. I worked for Mandy Turner for a good many years mm. and knocked off when I was getting to near 80 because uh, the old, well, I'm a bit like you, you're, you've got a bad leg, mm. I've got a bad ankle and I couldn't keep up and lead a horse at the same time. So mm. I, I thought, well, it's about time I gave up, so I gave up. Brian, during your time at Warwick Farm, you sustained the worst injury you've ever suffered with horses. I think something lined you up inside the stable one day and didn't miss. Yeah, yes, he uh, fractured my skull and depressed my skull badly, actually. Mm. Um, uh, All about three o'clock in the morning, might have been a bit earlier or a bit later, Mm. and uh, up by ambulance to Liverpool Hospital, and uh, I was there for about four days. I don't know whether... They were thinking I might die or not before they did an operation on me. And uh, mm. a fellow called, uh, uh, or a specialist, I suppose, he operated on me called James Van Gelder. Mm. Well, he virtually saved my life. Mm. Uh, he, he came along to see me before the op and he said, you're in a bad way. He said, uh, we're going to have to open your skull up and get a little bit of bone and prop the rest of your skull up with that bone. And... Yeah. Uh, and he succeeded. So, <laughs> yeah. Probably, your medical terminology. On my side since. <laughs> Propped it up with another piece of bone. Well described. <laughs> Sorry? I say your medical terminology is, is quite humorous. You said they propped your skull up with another piece of bone. Yeah, well, you can only, you can only say it, you can only say it as you, as you see it. Yeah. And that's what's exactly what happened, you know. Mm. You and Coral were the parents of six kids who have in turn supplied you with eight grandchildren. Where are the kids nowadays, Brian? Are they all in Sydney? Uh, I have one in Hong Kong. Mm. Um, He's a doctor of uh, economics, I think. Mm. Uh, Yes, he is. He actually called me last Sunday. I had a great old yard too. And uh, I've got one in... uh, the Gold Coast, which is uh, a high school teacher, one in uh, the Blue Mountains, a girl, a daughter, mm. uh, which is into finance, yeah. uh, a baker, uh, and uh, uh, another the daughter, 
that is uh, married to a chap and they both um, work away. They've got a cafeteria beside the Kurawee Railway Station mm. and uh, another fella that's a uh, uh, metal worker. Yep. Good. And they're all well, all well and all busy. Oh, they've all, they've all um, put in all their lives, work hard and mm. do their best. Mm. And as Banjo Patterson said, anyone done his best has done enough. <laughs> you know, the Menangle track has changed harness racing a hell of a lot. It's handlebars down now in most races and the younger blokes drive similarly on the half-mile track at Penrith. A 155 or 156-mile rate at Penrith is commonplace. Yes, yes. And, and hey, these, these drivers or these young drivers, as you say, uh, they, they've done very, very well, to my opinion, mm. uh, in my opinion, of uh, adapting from a track like Menangle to a track like Penrith, it's a different ball game altogether, I mm. think. Oh, it is. Although yeah. at, at my age, I, I, I'd be completely lost if I was let loose on Menangle. Mm. <laughs> I reckon I'd have to drive it a few times to even be able to work out what to do. Yeah, you'd learn quickly, mate. I know you would. Well, Brian, your humility is legendary in the trotting sport and you're uncomfortable, really, with too much praise. Let me say I called you in many races... I watched you in hundreds more and I was very proud to go around with you on several occasions. You were indisputably one of the best of your generation and I know my opinion is shared by the majority of those who saw you in action. It's been a delight to have you on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Thanks for your time on a Sunday morning. John, you've been very kind. Thank you. Brian Forrester, one of the all-time greats of the light harness sport in Australasia, our special guest on today's podcast. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30 mil of Recuperate drawn from the 500 mil bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code johntap.racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase.